Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Good evening. Thank you. We are continuing tonight a sermon series that we started last week called Asking for a Friend, Honest Questions for God. And each week in this series, we're going to ask a question that you might be tempted to ask for a friend. It might be a question that you feel like you should know the answer to, and so you are maybe embarrassed or ashamed that you haven't sought out the answer, or you haven't come to a conclusion, or or you just don't know how to even respond. And so you kind of want to lean in and you know ask for a friend, even though it's for you. You may we're going to be looking at these questions, which are honest questions for God, honest questions about life, about how it works. How it doesn't work, as the case may be. We're going to look at these questions that if you haven't been walking with God, that you don't find yourself to be particularly religious, that these might be the kinds of questions that are objectionable. Like these are the reasons why you can't seem to come to a place of faith and you haven't come to a place where you've resolved these questions either. These are questions that we want to dive into, but we want to offer a response We can't offer a comprehensive response because these questions, the reality is, are bigger than we have the time in any one moment to cover. But we want to offer a response to help prompt further exploration and investigation. And even more important than that, to prompt further conversation discussions among ourselves, but also discussions with your friends and your family who may or may not join you if you invite them to be a part of this, but those discussions where we can continue to learn from one another as we seek to grow together and be a community where it is safe and okay to ask these types of questions. And so if you missed last week or you miss any of the future, you can go back and you can catch those on our podcast or on our YouTube channel at PCTRNJ. And I'd encourage you to continue to consider who you could invite. Who are those people you're having conversations with about life and faith that you keep coming back to these types of questions? And so as we move into the message tonight, I was thinking about the the commercial campaign from Hotels.com particularly from a few years ago. They still have the character Captain Obvious, but a few years ago they were, there was this one commercial where Captain Obvious begins, he's down on all fours, and on his back is a little goat. And he, they close in the camera on him, and you know, he asks the question, why am I doing goat yoga at this mountain retreat? Because Hotels.com allows me to do me. And their whole campaign slogan was, you do you and get rewarded. And behind this is that idea that, you know, there are all sorts of opportunities, all sorts of different kinds of interests, all sorts of things. And Hotels.com can be the way that you can explore whatever the interest that you have. It's the way that you can book that experience. And sure, that's great. But I think behind that is also a growing question or a growing thought within our culture and society that you do your truth and I'll do mine. You do your truth, I'll do my truth. 
And when we just come to the simple question of Captain Obvious, you know, is it, is it even, even a, compreh a, a comprehensible thought that he could do his goat yoga and that that's good for him, but it's not good for somebody else? Is it true? Is it a true statement? Goat yoga is amazing. Or is it not true? See, it works on a matter of opinion because I think we can all live with, with a disagreement around goat yoga, that, it, that some people can love it and some may not, and that's okay. We can still, we can still agree. And that's, and that level, then the truth, that truth, if we want to call it truth, maybe there is a your truth and a my truth. But what about when we start peeling a little deeper and we get to matters of a little more significance and importance? What about when it comes to issues of life and death? When it comes to questions of should someone be sentenced or imprisoned, are they guilty, are they not guilty, based upon what evidence, and is the evidence true? What about the questions of how do we live a good and beautiful life? See, that we, we're starting to ask questions now. Is it really going to work to have your truth, my truth, their truth, or is there a, the truth underneath all of this? And really, all of this is important because I know many struggle with the idea and the question of how can Christians claim to know the truth, the truth, especially because there's so many disagreements about what is right and good and makes for a beautiful life. There's so many different experiences that people have around the world. People are born in, in, complete, in, in places where Christianity will never reach them in their lifetime. So how can Christians claim to know the truth. And underneath that, there's this assumption that to claim to have the truth certainly is a play for power, control, and ultimately leads to arrogance and oppression. So we're going to jump into, really try to jump into all of that this evening through John chapter 8, and we're going to read starting in verse, or in chapter 8, verses 31. And you can follow along on the screen if you'd like. Let's hear from God's word this evening. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, if you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. And let's pray as we move into this together. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this time to be leading our thoughts, meditations of our hearts, that you would open up these things to us and lead us into, into greater conversation and greater understanding. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So right at the outset of this short passage, Jesus makes the kind of claim that we're going to wrestle with this evening that is a challenge often in our culture today. He makes the claim, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And right here he's saying, you will know the truth, the truth. There's a definite article there. And that's a big deal, because we know there's a difference between A and the, don't we? There's a difference between a truth and the truth. And so Jesus is pushing to the forefront a claim that there is absolute truth and that they don't know it, that they're holding on to a truth, but not the truth. And this is challenging in our day because there is a a broad belief that these kind of claims to truth are are really power plays to get control over people. There's a philosopher, Michael Foucault, who kind of has was one of the first to be really trying to put these two ideas together. And he said this: he said, truth is a thing of this world. It is produced only by virtue of multiple forms of constraint, and it induces regular effects of power. Each society has its regime of truth, its general politics of truth. And basically in this, and he keeps going on, and he's reflecting on, he doesn't believe that there is any sort of absolute truth. He believes that that truth is something that exists in this world, and those who have power use their power to promote and push and pressure the truth on those who don't have power. And so then the truth claim exists to reinforce the power of the one that was making the claim in the first place. And so then, by extension, every truth claim is seen to be a type of exertion of power, trying to get power over another. And so there's a lot of different responses to this this idea, you know, and one is, is to ask the, is to agree with it, or at least to be open to the possibility, and, and to ask the question, well, who's the one that benefits from this truth claim, right? And, and that's really what, what Foucault is pointing at. He's pointing at the reality that behind this truth claim is there are powers that be, will, that will benefit from the propagation of this truth claim, and that some will win and some will lose, And this certainly breeds all sorts of conspiracy theories. Uh, It breeds all sorts of of distrust and suspicion uh, of those who are in positions of power. And man, don't we see this playing out right now in our society? This idea is a very insidious idea that's been promoted through our culture. But it's not totally unfounded. We have good reason to be concerned. We have good reason to be concerned that if some will abuse their power, then perhaps the truth that they promote is not true indeed, but in fact will reinforce something that will benefit them greatly. And so, you know, we could think about things like the the food pyramid, and you could ask yourself a, a question of, well, how do I know that's true? I have to eat that many vegetables in a day? you got to be kidding me. Who said that? And I could start going, who benefits from the truth claim that you should have that many servings of vegetables. And I could try to start following the trail. 
And I could say, mm, okay, so there's, I'm sure there's some sort of like kale lobby that exists in our country. I mean, it's gotta be, because kale's like everywhere. And you start going, okay, who's behind the kale lobby? And you start trying to follow this, this truth that, that, okay, so there's, there's these power brokers that are making this claim. Kale couldn't possibly, and so I, we get into this place, now I'm reacting. There's a truth claim. Oh, kale is really good for you. Well, no, no, these people benefit from, the, from kale and, so, and from all these vegetables that I should be eating, so I'm going to make my own truth claim to say, no, kale is not good for me. And so there's this reactionary kind of position we often take in our society. Because of this suspicion that maybe the truth isn't the truth. Maybe there's not actually a truth that's there. And so we can then easily get to ourselves, and and many have gotten to a place, well, there must not be any absolute truth. And there's, there's good reason for those who are skeptics of the Christian faith to be asking these types of questions. Because the reality is, the church throughout history does not always have a great record. The, the propagation of the truth claims of the church brought more people into the church. Well, who benefited from that? Well, there was a lot of money and power and land that became stockpiled over the years. And then truth claims that led the church off to war in the Crusades. And so those who, who are skeptical of the truth claim that might come from the Christian faith are not totally unfounded. Because there is a history that you can point to that says maybe Foucault was right. It was a, a, a play for power. And so that must not be true. So there must not really be any absolute truth. And the irony of that claim, though, is it is in of itself a power play. And so we live in a, a culture that is trying to say there is no truth. And yet, and I can say my truth is true for me. And your truth is true for you. But the problem with that statement is that it's self-contradictory. Because what it's assuming is that my truth is also true for you. That you have to accept it as true because it's my truth. So if I want to tell you that my hair is green, you have to accept that my hair is green. Because that's my truth. That's what it's assuming. And we can't really live in a world where it's just, it's true for me or it's not true, and it's not true for you. Because then we get into all of those intertwined issues of, okay, if I'm the one who robs the store and you're going to testify that I have blonde hair, no, I have green hair, I should get off the hook. See, it just breaks down. It becomes illogical if there's not these foundations of truth, the truth. And here's the thing. We don't, any of us really, many of us, there's probably some, But very few live as if there is no actual absolute truth, right? I'm pretty confident that you get up in the morning and you still assume that the gravitational pull of this earth is still a true reality that you're going to experience when you walk out the door. Did anybody walk out with weighted boots on today? No? So then you're still living based on an assumption that that's true. And then, you know, certainly this gets really complicated really fast. And a lot of really, 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 really smart people smarter than me have waded into this, and I'd encourage you to, to go and wade into it yourselves. Because then th- this conversation leads us to questions of, well, okay, so how do you know it's true? And like gravity is a great example because 
it's empirically verifiable over and over again. It's repeatable. That's the thing that's wonderful about science. That's why so many are drawn to the scientific truth, the scientific explanation for life and how things should work, because it is repeatable. And experiments, by their definition, create settings and contexts where something can be verified or not because there's enough constraints that are in place that we should be able to repeat this over and over again, and once it's repeated over and over again, then we accept that to be the, tr- the reality, the truth in which we live. And, and yeah, we can say, okay, well, maybe, yeah, that, that may be true for material things, for material matters, sure, but not for the immaterial. You can't really know the truth when it comes to the immaterial things, can you? I mean, because truth, some argue, is just constructed, which means that it's just like we got together and and we put together what we think is true, and it's conditioned by where you're born and at what time in history you're born. And so it really is just this, this amalgamation of the collective wisdom of any particular group of people at any particular time that works for us. And on one hand, you can kind of say, sure, because we look at, at our country, you look at the United States, it, it was formed by a group of people at a particular time that came around a, a, a bunch of ideas and said, we think this is the best way to live. This is true. And so they set it into motion. And then each generation receives what they inherited and can either choose to accept it or reject it, which feels a lot like we continue to live in that cycle and even more so is very much in our faces today. The questions of, are we going to continue this experiment, this way of living, claiming it as true and good, or are we going to see it shift and move to something else? And so we could say, okay, maybe it's just constructed. And then we hear Foucault again in, our, in the background, and we go, man, maybe he was onto something. Because maybe, maybe this constructed truth, if we live based on this idea that there's this constructed truth, then maybe, maybe we should be considering who's going to benefit from these truth claims. Who's going to benefit? Who are in the positions of power that are pushing it forward? And, and then how can we know that anybody's true, particularly as we're, we're listening to our politicians going, can we trust any of them? Are any of them speaking the truth? And unfortunately, what's happened over the recent years is it seems like we've started to base what is true on who's shouting the loudest and is the most emotional about it. Doesn't it it seem that way? And, And whoever makes the biggest noise, throws the biggest fit, seems to get the most attention, and they must be the one who's telling the truth. And I was reading on this this week, and and there's a, a a guy named Paul Ellerton, who's a lecturer at the University of Queensland on, on logic and rational thought. And he said, the sincerity of one's belief and the volume or frequency with which it is stated should not be rationally persuasive by themselves, right? That the sincerity of one's belief doesn't make it true. My hair is green? I really believe so. That doesn't make it, make it true. The volume that we're hearing and the emotionality and even the number of times it gets retweeted throughout the day doesn't necessarily, shouldn't make it rationally persuasive by itself. 
and yet it's moving. And we have these questions of, man, can, can we count on this kind of truth? We, li- we live in this time where your truth can be your truth, and that is being put, indoctrinated into our children from the earliest ages. I mean, Disney is telling them this all the time, all the time. Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. You can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you put your mind to. Are any of those statements true? You know, go live your truth to the fullest. But here's the problem. Jesus is, is talking to this group of people, and he's talking to them about the reality and the nature of truth. And he's saying, only when you know the truth are you really set free. Because a truth is not adequate to lead you to freedom. Your truth is not adequate to truly set you free, though that is what is behind the whole movement of you do you. It's to, to get free, isn't it, from everybody else's constraints, from everybody else's piling on, all of their truth claims that they want to make on us. It's all about shedding that so we can be truly free. But Jesus is saying, you're not truly free until your life is grounded on the truth. Not a truth, your truth, the, the collected, constructed truth, but the truth. Because they're, they're trying to make their, their, stake their claim of their freedom on their heritage and their identity as the children of Abraham. This reality of this heritage will somehow lead them to freedom. And Jesus is saying, man, that's not freedom. That's slavery. Because he's, he's in this conversation specifically talking to them about sin, and he's saying, just because your, herit- your heritage is from these children of Abraham doesn't mean that you are free from sin, though that's what they were, they were staking their claim and basing their life on. That was their truth. Our truth is we're children of Abraham, so we're fine. And Jesus is saying, your truth isn't working because you're still a slave to sin. And he's pointing to the reality that their lives are not full and beautiful, but they are filled with arrogance and self-righteousness and ultimately as we see at the end of this passage, he, he knows that what is in them is a desire to kill him. They want to kill him. And so he's saying, your truth isn't leading to freedom. It's leading to slavery. And we can, we can start to play this out in our lives in, in different realms. Your truth doesn't necessarily lead to freedom. You know, I think about my own life, and I, I think, you know, I had a dream at, at one point uh, to, to play basketball, to play basketball in, in high school, in college, as a pro in the NBA, and I, it was a short-lived dream. I played through high school, but that was it. And it was a short-lived dream because I, I lack fast-twitch muscle fiber, and I can't jump. And so maybe for the average human, I'm, I'm tall, I'm six foot one, but for a basketball player, I'm really pretty short, and if I can't jump on top of it, I don't have much of a chance when it comes to playing basketball, certainly not in the NBA. But here's the thing, I could have taken that dream, that's my truth, I'm made to be an NBA basketball player. And can you imagine how that would have played out if I did not pivot from that dream to something else? Can you imagine if I took every day of my life and continued and I just worked out and I played basketball and I continued to push for this dream and I kept trying out for this, trying out for that, trying to get to the next level, to the next level. Can you imagine if I'm still doing that today, where I would have been over the course of the last decades? 
Yeah, you can imagine. I'd be on the couch in my dad's basement. It wouldn't lead to freedom and flourishing, but it was my truth. I'll tell you what, I love basketball. That was my dream. And so we have this, this reality. There's a truth in here that, man, I probably wasn't ever going to make it to the NBA. And again, we can say, well, but that's because we're, you're talking about physical, material things, right? That, that must be it. Again, it comes back to, we can, we can agree that the science, <laughs> woo, the genetics were stacked against you, man. But what about other realms? And we know this from other realms. You know, we know this when we start taking a look at our lives and we start looking at, at you know, there's a, an example that I heard given in a, in a talk that, that is one that shows up over and over again, even throughout our stories and Hollywood. That you can think that if you made your whole life, if your dream, as, as said in the movie Tangled, which is the Rapunzel, Disney's Rapunzel version, there's these guys, all these thugs who, who sing about their dreams, and one of the thugs at the very end sings, his dream is that he is going to basically be on an island, tanned, or, tanned and alone on a huge pile of money. Well, that's his dream, that's his truth, and then what does that lead him to? It leads him to a, a life that destroys all of his relationships, he betrays, he turn, he's backstabber. If we applied that to our life today, if that was your dream, think about how that would play out in your relationship. If that was the bedrock of your life, if that was the ultimate goal, we'd see the breakdown of other parts of life that are good and beautiful. And so maybe there is a truth that extends to the immaterial, to even a moral realm that could lead to actual freedom because we could be slaves. We can be slaves to our truth. We can be slaves to the constructed truth of society. Just think. Think about the babies that are killed every day before they're even born based on a constructed truth that says it's okay. So we know that our truth, my truth, if we follow this, then our truth and my truth, a truth, is not adequate to lead to true freedom and flourishing. It's got to be the truth. The truth leads us to flourishing because the truth, for me, caused me to pivot from basketball, to discover the other passions that God had put in me, the other gifts that he's given for, for life. That so many people have discovered that their pursuit of career and success and money was not fully satisfying, and they pivoted that truth. Oh, it was destroying their relationships. It was leading them to other habits to manage their stress that were unhealthy. They were pivoting from a truth that was a truth. When faced with the truth, it caused flourishing as they made those changes, those transitions. Because the truth, the truth, can be liberating. And we, when we, it's not just a power play to restrict. It can actually release and liberate. You know, that if, if somebody else who actually had fast twitch muscle fiber, who could actually jump, maybe who was six foot seven, decided they had a dream of playing in the NBA, 
And so what they decided to do was limit their lives, restrict themselves to invest in their development, their good. The truth of who they were could then, with the appropriate respect for the limitations required, perhaps live a flourishing life, living out their dream playing in the NBA. But if they sat on their couch at home just playing video games, even if those games are based on the NBA, they're probably not getting paid. They're probably not living into their dream because a respect for the truth can lead to greater flourishing even when there's restriction required. Our lives can be truly free when they're grounded on the truth. The truth. Jesus is saying in this that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so the question for all of us is, what are we basing our life on? What are you, what are you basing your life on? Because here's the thing. We're all basing it on some, some version of what we might call truth. But is it the truth? Is it a truth that leads to flourishing? Is it a truth that respects the limitations? Is it, a, a, is it the truth that God has? Because the rest of this Jesus is talking about is, hey, there's a truth that's greater than just the principles, that's greater than just the principles that are at play in in this world. There's a truth that can set you free. Did you see in in verse 32, he says, the truth will set you free. In verse 36, he says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, what John's getting at here is that the truth is so much more than just abstract principles that the truth is so much more than just this list of limitations or this list of things to do or not to do. It's so much more than even the, the amazing ways that the world works. It's more than just the, mor- the moral principles of what's right and wrong and, and what's true at the end of the day. Because we can apply those kind of truths and we can be just as enslaved as anybody else. Because if we are are mercilessly committed to the truth, even the moral truth, well then we go around and we we start pursuing that and promoting that and pushing that on other people, then we do find ourselves in that power play seat trying to force the truth onto other people. And in in the process, we become just like these people Jesus is talking to, arrogant and self-righteous and judgmental. And see, the the truth that Jesus is leading to, the truth, the Son, leads to lives that are not oppressive but are sacrificial. Because at the heart of the truth stands God himself. Jesus, the Son, is identifying himself as the truth, the one who can set us free from all falsehood of whatever kind we might be buying into. He's saying, instead of basing your life on the principles that you may or may not fully understand, on a constructed truth that's put together by society, on a your truth that, that can change day in and day out based on your whims, desires, frustrations, and experiences, rather than rooting your truth even on the scientific and empirical, which we don't fully know and doesn't fully satisfy all of the questions that are involved in our heart, mind, and soul, lean on the truth that is in him, the truth that is the person, Jesus Christ, The truth of God himself that came embodied onto earth and the truth that is revealed at the heart, the truth at the center of of the truth is that the one who himself is true 
took on the cross, took on crucifixion, took on the greatest oppression so that we could be free. We could be truly free. And that we could be free to discover more and more of the truth that is in him and more and more of the truth of how he has made you to live and how he has made us to live as a society, how he has made us to live as the church, how he has made us to live in the midst of a world that needs to know the truth because the truth is liberating and will set us free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we show us, each of us, where we are content to live a truth, our truth, my truth. We show us the ways that that leads to slavery, where we end up perhaps wasting our lives, wasting the gifts that you've given us, leads us into more restricted living when what you intend for us is to walk in the fullness and the freedom of, of our, our identity and gifts developed in you. Lord, may you lead us as we are honest with the questions to explore what is the truth. And may we be those who are transformed by the truth that you you came to sacrifice yourself to set us free and may that lead us into lives that are not oppressive by trying to force the truth on other people but that will lay our lives down lovingly and sacrificially as you have that others might find the freedom in the truth that is Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we trust and we pray.